and and finding out really what is the state to the nation. Michael, are you with us this morning, brother? I am with you, and always great to be on your show, Mark. Well, well, I mean, you know, during the week, you and I engaged in terms of uh, what we might be speaking on this morning, um, and you kind of fleshed out this conversation that 4SA um, has been having, a conversation, um, engagement uh, with Cogta, the minister, and others, and a case that's been coming up, and uh, I mean, it really is very, very interesting, and I'm interested to hear how 4SA engages kind of on a broader scale uh, in, in the nation and who you represent. Uh, maybe you can just uh, flesh that out for us. Yes, well, over the last eight years, we were astonished to realize that we've been around for eight years now. Um, <laughs> we have engaged with multiple uh, faith groups across the religious spectrum, literally. And what we do, 4SA, is we basically are upholding and promoting the constitutional rights that we've been granted, particularly Section 15, which is the Freedom of Religion Clause. And what we therefore do is that any area, really, where we see religious freedom being eroded or the religious community being unfairly treated or discriminated against, that is where we engage. So we were obviously very involved and have been very involved since the beginning of the pandemic in all the different lockdown levels, because it has been evident to us from the get-go that the religious community is perhaps uh, the best way of putting it is to say a little late at last in terms of the government's consideration um, and that's demonstrated from the very beginning when even under the initial lockdown levels when they set them out the religious community wasn't even mentioned not even in lockdown level one so again we, we've been somewhat sort of fighting a bit of a back game but we are obviously pleased that government has accommodated on various levels the religious community. But again, we were obliged to bring a, a high court action because under the latest lockdown, as you might have uh, realized, down level three, the adjusted level, suddenly uh, the religious uh, churches, communities, faiths, synagogues, mosques were just simply closed. And it was only after some time and much pressure that they were reopened. So we are continuing to engage and we've just uh, yesterday, in fact, had a meeting with a significant group of, of senior religious leaders to discuss our case and the developments um, that have been happening. You know, Michael, I was um, I was with a group of pastors. Well, I wasn't with. We were Zooming uh, with, a, with a group of pastors from all around the country yesterday. And um, at, at the beginning of the conversation, we were talking about lockdown. We were talking about the constraints that uh, various churches were operating. Um, many of the churches were, were, were large, were large churches. And, and one of the one of the pastors just expressed his um, his genuine. I mean, I would, I would I'd describe it as concern, but also maybe even exasperation that we're still under lockdown level three. And yet the world seems to have changed, you know, infection rates are down and how this is really affecting faith communities, how it was affecting his church. And you know, there was just genuine consensus around the room as we were talking about this. Um, just kind of your thoughts in, in terms of, uh, you know, when are we going to move to lockdown level, whatever comes after three? And, and why is the government so slow? And, and what is 4SA doing in order to represent the voices of, you know, pastors like me and pastors like others? No, you're absolutely correct. This is, a, I think, a growing sentiment. And it's a very concerning sentiment because, again, we must always look at data. Government should always be looking at data. 
And the core essence of the case that we've brought is basically to say to government, what data are you relying on in order to remove our constitutional rights, in order to shut yeah. us down? And particularly, why are you shutting down the religious sector more uh, strongly than you are other sectors of society? And so one of the things we're hoping, and it will be a, a process away and, and a bit of a time away, but nevertheless, a vital legal precedent needs to be set, we believe, to establish the grounds, the rationale, the justification which government will in future have to show so that it can only uh, shut down religious communities uh, on the basis of scientific evidence, not just on a whim, not unfairly discriminating against them while allowing other, other sectors of society to operate with no distinction as we can see. And government hasn't even provided, even in the papers that they've submitted, they haven't provided that distinction. And as you correctly say, we're now in a situation whereby, again, look at the data. The infection levels are falling. They're as low as they have been since September last year. Death rates are falling. The uh, hospitalization and healthcare capacity is well able to cope with everything that's coming at them. Why are we still under lockdown level three? And I think the you know answer to that question is is because I think government are concerned uh, about the uh, so-called super spreader events upon which they have been basing, I think, what little evidence they have right from the very beginning. But again, we have to understand that those so-called super spreader events that took place even before lockdown in March last year, they are disputed, number one. Uh, they have not been proven as super spreader events by any manner of means. Uh, but yeah, obviously there is a danger in great numbers of people gathering together. But again, government puts the processes in place. They put the protocols in place. And we understand hygiene. We understand sanitation. We understand social distancing. You know, we understand these things. And these are what supposedly are keeping us safe. Why now are we still uh, not able to meet in greater numbers as we were? And again, just to say, we also believe that the cap on the numbers that was placed under the last lockdown level, level one, when it was 50% occupation or 250 people limit or 500 people outdoor limit, that those are just arbitrary figures. Why is it any less safe for churches to meet with all the sanitation and protocols in place than it is for people to meet 50% in a casino or a cinema or a conference center? There is no logical justification. And so one of the things that um, happened yesterday was that we received a mandate from our, our community that we have been speaking with and to, on behalf of whom we also speak to government uh, to basically write again to the president and ask for an urgent meeting because we must collaborate on these things. Government needs, I think, to hear the wisdom. The religious community is not irresponsible. The religious community is one of the most responsible se sectors of society and they have been extremely law-abiding and compliant during lockdown for obvious reasons but this is a serious health pandemic but nevertheless we must now sit with government you know, east is coming uh, ramadan is coming pesach is coming these major festivals are coming and i believe that it is incumbent upon government to now consult again with the religious community to work out together how can we continue and go forward and celebrate these very, very significant uh, aspects of our faith, uh, but at the same time, obviously, make sure that we uh, do not um, run into the problem of actually spreading the infection unnecessarily. But I do think the time is right for that conversation. Everything is indicating that the second wave has indeed passed. Mm. Well, very grateful um, as we look at those numbers to see that the infection rates have come up and, and grateful to the Lord because uh, it's wonderful to gather together um, in, in, in religious gatherings. It's wonderful to do church. It's wonderful to see people that you love. 
Um, yeah, from a preacher's perspective, it's wonderful not to just uh, preach at a camera, um, but to preach <laughs> to 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 living souls in the room and be able to uh, spread the good news of Jesus Christ, to talk of His death and His resurrection and um, repentance, and and to talk about church meaningfully, seeing mm. loving fellowship happening before you, and uh, 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 evangelism and worship and and teaching, but at the same time longing for so much more. Mm. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so thank you so much for the work that you've been doing, Michael. I, I hear that you wanted to say something else. Yes, I was going to say, I mean, f- faith happens in community. There is a level of community. And I think why government really does need to now come literally to the table and to invite the faith community to the table is that because of these really imperatives of of, of the faith of, of many different faiths, of actually having uh, levels of community where we can worship God together, however we may choose to do that. If you then keep saying no and you keep shutting down and you can't show the logic, then you start putting people in that invidious position. Do I obey God or do I obey man? And I think the frustration that you mentioned that you were experiencing is very much an indication of the fact that things are actually reaching a point where we must sit down now. And let's talk about it. Let's find a way forward. There's no reason in science at this stage to stay locked down the way we are brother people that are interested in this conversation who want to maybe extend the conversation further or want more information about what you've spoken about how can they connect with you or for SA? well they're welcome please to go to our website uh, that is www.forsa.org.za or you can follow us on our Facebook page, Freedom of Religion SA. I would highly recommend that you sign up for our newsletter uh, because that way we will continue to give you updates on not just this, but the multiple other uh, freedom issues that we're dealing with all the time. And also, of course, we can alert you if there's anything specifically and help you to engage yourself so that you can also do something to be part of this. But obviously, please... Uh, continue to pray for us for SA um, as we in a sense uh, take on these issues on behalf of you and on behalf of all our churches Michael as always it's really good to speak to you thank you so much uh, for the information Uh, I do trust that uh, even as we hear it we are caused to pray um, not just for the church and for the state of the church but also for our nation uh, that we might live peaceably and the gospel might go out unhindered thank you for thank you for the conversation brother Cheers. Thank well, listeners, as you have um, listened to to Michael, as you've listened to you know the conversation that needs to happen um, between the church and government, there might be areas that you want to talk about that you that you want to engage on. Um, I'm going to remind you of of how you can engage with us um, shortly. Uh, I would say write down how to um, engage with us because the topic today that we're going to be talking on is absolutely excellent and and very relevant uh, to South Africa as a whole. Uh, we're going to be talking um, from from year on out till the end of the show uh, about adoption and, and very specifically around adoption we're going to be talking about practical love in a hurting world um, with uh, friends of mine and Tsepo, Chachelo uh, and Sefiso Pule. Um, who are members of Crystal Park Baptist Church. Uh, they've been married for 11 years this year. How long have you been married, Tipple? 
three years. Three years with mm-hmm. Lerati. Okay, mm-hmm. and you guys are expecting your first child. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm I'm like excited. <laughs> One month to go. Yeah. <laughs> and I have no doubt Lerati is listening in. Lerati, this is how you would engage with us on the show today. Uh, you could engage on Facebook, uh, Radio Pulpit, Radio Console. You can engage on Twitter. Uh, that's using the handle at 657am. You can engage on WhatsApp and Telegram, and the number is 082-657-2729. And we are going to be engaging around the topic of adoption, and we are going to be engaging with Chachelo uh, and Safiso Pule. Um, they have a little boy named Fide, uh, who was adopted at two months, and they are founders of an organization called Open Home Africa. Um, which is founded to help families and singles open their homes to children in need of loving homes. Chachelo, are you with us, sister? Yes, I am. Can you hear? I can hear you clearly. It's good to hear your voice this morning. Great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, even as we, even as we begin this engagement, I, I, I do want us to start uh, with a with a theological. With a theological framework, a, a theological foundation, a, a biblical foundation, uh, Tepo also want to bring you in here. Uh-huh. But when we talk about adoption, what are some of the things that we that we begin to think about biblically when we hear that word? Uh, and and Chachil, I'm going to start with Tepo and and maybe hand the baton over to you afterwards, and uh, and then we'll continue with the with the interview. Yeah. So <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind when I hear the word adoption is salvation mm. <laughs> because we we as Christians were adopted into God's family um so for instance and I know a lot of people would say well uh we are all God's children and I, and I, and I'd say no 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 we are not all God's children something has to happen for us to become God's children which is salvation and so let me just read maybe um, Galatians 4. I'll read just four verses from verse 4 to verse 8. It says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of women, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying Abba father so you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir through God formerly when you did not know God you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's so so basically it's so there's a there's a lot of things that that are happening there right because now there's there's um uh those who are who have now become sons of God are heirs with Christ, right? So, 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 yeah, it's it's basically salvation um, originally, um, because the world is fallen, uh, but through Christ, through through His payment, through redemption, we now get adopted into a new family, and we now have God as our Father. And so that's basically what what comes to mind um, when I hear the word adoption. You know, we at 
Crystal Park have been working through as a Christmas series. <laughs> We're yeah. still in it, uh, probably coming to an end this Sunday. But yeah. as a Christmas series, we've been working through uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, mm-hmm. uh, verse 1 to 18, the, the prologue of John's Gospel, which really looks to glorify Jesus, to lift him up, to elevate him, to demonstrate that he is the Son of God. Verse 10 um, in that first chapter says that he was in the world and the And the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. That he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Uh, You've got there a a a lack of recognition of the Savior, and you've got a a real rejection of the Savior. Uh But then in contrast, in verse 2, that those who did receive him, and this would be salvation, Uh uh, the great call of John that you must be born again. Um, But to those who did receive him, he gave them the right to be true. Children of God to those who believe in his name, who are born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, mm-hmm. but of God. This this idea of coming into God's family is a truly beautiful one. It is connected to salvation mm-hmm. and really it is to God's praise and to his glory mm. uh, that we get to be counted as sons and daughters of the most high God call on God as our father it's a, it's a beautiful mm. picture uh, even as we kind of opening up the conversation um, and as we, we come to stories of, of adoption is there anything from a biblical perspective that you'd like to add there sister yeah I think it's such a beautiful doctrine um, adoption you know you it's, it's, it's something that you don't deserve. It's not like, you know, you have to look pretty <laughs> for the Lord to say to you, <laughs> I'm choosing this one. Um, um, you didn't do anything of yourself. And the Lord decides to um, adopt you into uh, his family. Uh, uh, and uh. what you get is an inheritance with Jesus Christ. And it's uh. like, what? What is this? You know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it's an amazing, amazing um, uh, truth to think about mm. because um, I didn't have to do anything. He's the one who did it all. And I now have this uh, surname, so to say. You know, I'm, I, I am part of the kingdom. Oh. I am I'm, I'm an heir to, to um, all that Christ represents. So for me, it's just like a beautiful, beautiful um, truth. I don't know what yeah. you want to add. <laughs> no, that's great. So, um, uh, Tepo just pointed out to me that you're in the frame and in the shot as well. I, I wasn't 100% sure. So, uh, it's great to have oh, you yes. with us, brother. Yeah, yeah. you want to close us out just in terms of the, the, the start of presenting um, a biblical perspective of adoption, where, 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 these, where these things start and, and linking adoption to salvation. Well, thank you. And Tepo, greetings, brother. Um, thank you for having us. I, I just want to point us to just as those who, those of us who identify as believers, those who are recipients of the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Um, in, in terms of what uh, his brother James, sorry for the noise in the background. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> you know, Jesus's brother James in chapter one, verse twenty-seven says, "You know, religion that God our Father accepts as pure." And faultless is this. It is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Mm-hmm. So 
adoption we see in scripture in two ways. Firstly, it is received, and then it is also given. You know, um, firstly, I should say given, and then it is also received. And then further, by those who've received it, should be practiced going outside, outwards. And so that is the gospel in a nutshell, and uh, that is the gospel uh, practiced um, in every way. Um, and that takes different forms, which we hope to get into um, in this discussion today. Mm. Well, well, guys, w- where did it all begin for you? Where did the idea of adoption kind of germinate from? Um, uh, uh, yeah, t- tell us a little bit about this call that you guys have on your life in terms of adoption and, and, and engaging with it. I think um, to start off the journey, it was in 2013 when we um, found out from the doctor that we couldn't naturally conceive. Mm-hmm. So we said, Lord, if this is the path that you are um, bringing us into, could you providentially lead us to, you know, the next um, chapter, so to say. And um, the Lord providentially brought people into our lives who um, helped us think through the practicality of adopting. Um, we had known about it. It's always in scripture. Um, you know, we read it, but it's, it's, it's practically living it out and what that actually means. Um, the Lord really um, providentially brought a few couples along our way and only through that exposure were we, you know, thankful that actually we could do this. This is, this is a process that is that is easy, but of course we got thrown into the deep end because there was a, a particular case that uh, we knew about, and then uh, all of a sudden they're like, "Okay, you could be getting a baby quite soon," and we were like, "We well, are actually not prepared," you know. <laughs> so we jumped into paperwork, and that that took about you know six months to do with a social worker. And then we were, you know, paper pregnant, so to say, for another three months until we got the, the, the phone call at our son who was um, at a hospital in Zilgaton, um, was ready to, to be picked up. And uh, we met him for the first time on the 11th of February. And uh, within two weeks, um, we were taking him home. So, yeah, yeah, it was a beautiful thing. Now, even as you guys are talking, uh, I mean, I just want to slow things down a little bit because I, I have no doubt that there'll be listeners that are that are paying attention this morning, that are in some way engaging on this journey themselves, and, and are listening in for their encouragement or for kind of like a little bit of direction, uh, a couple of pointers. Um, and, and so you've said a couple of really, really important things uh, that I'd just like you to bring out slightly. Um, one was the influence of uh, of others on your life and, and just how um, many people's story I- involves um, kind of having these conversations with a number of different people in order to understand what they're going through and, and understand who they should talk to. And, and I'm wondering how you identified people and how others might be able to identify people. And then and then secondly, um, you, you were talking about uh, being paper pregnant, if I understood the phrase correctly. Mm-hmm. I, and I smiled because mm-hmm. I remember that myself, you know, Liesl and I going through the paperwork process uh, as we went through the adoption process ourselves and, and then got to a stage where you know everything's done and now you have to sit and wait you, you have to wait for a match and just you know the the process that that we went through and you know kind of like uh, yeah just a very very interesting and yeah. and 
And then the third thing that I'm interested in, uh, Sifi, so is adoption is unlike um, uh, natural childbirth in this. I felt I, I've got I've got two children uh, that uh, before we adopted Thomas, uh, Caitlin and Catherine, they're 17, 9, 15. Uh, our adopted child is, is Thomas, he's seven. Um, and with Caitlin and Catherine, Liesel was pregnant for nine months and for nine months she engaged with this growing child in her body uh, in meaningful ways um uh, and and then you know Caitlin and Catherine were born and and my journey kind of started at that point but with Thomas I was involved right from the beginning it was just the most amazing thing being 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 actively involved in every point of the process and and I'm just interested how that might have worked out for you um yeah any kind of any kind of feedback or or insights on those kinds of questions yeah um i mean i i, I think i think the the first feeling i can describe i felt was uh nerves um you know just the sense of you know the weight of responsibility um and cold feet as well because you're thinking am i going to be you know suitable um for to raise this little one in the, in, in a godly way and being faithful and loving him and raising him in the knowledge of the Lord, and most importantly, will he accept me? So those were the mm. feelings that I had, you know, and um, uh, just even just on uh, just on my corner, and I know some of them were shared by Chachela as well. But um, yeah, like Chachela said, what was important in the, in the journey that we embarked on was that adoption, the adoption process, and also just, you know, families expanding via adoption was modeled for us. So we were mm. in church community, in a church community that that had um, many families that had adopted, um, and uh, even more uh, uh, relevant um, of the story of adoption is that it was done, you know, cross culturally, and it was done, you know, very evidently. You could clearly see the families that had adopted, and so going and, and having fellowship with them, walking the journey with them, and also just being on a journey of uh, seeking and, and to understand what what this means, and also reflecting on. What this means on me having been adopted mm -hmm. um, by the Lord uh, as as my as my Savior. So so it was quite a journey, and uh, it still very much is, um, you know, and a fulfilling one at that. I can. Mm -hmm. Well, as you as you start to talk about that that journey, um, and and obviously what what happens at at the beginning is you have a sense that you that you'd like to increase your family, you'd like to adopt a child. But then where to from there? <laughs> how does the journey look like or, or how did your journey look like? Um, what did the process look like? You mentioned a social worker. Just how did, how did that all come about? Thankfully, we had a very good um, social worker, um, a Christian social worker. So yeah. she was for um, the idea of, you know, families being expanded via adoption. And she actually um, took us through all the paperwork. We had probably like four, if not five sessions with her. Um, they would be about an hour long. And she literally 
just take us through all the issues that we'd have to think about. Um, family would be another one, uh, one of the things that we have to think about. Um, what would our home look like um, if this little one comes in? And she, she just really gently took us through all the paperwork. I think um, I had a folder of all the steps that we needed to do. And so we knew what form to fill in and all of that. And she just gently threw us uh, took us through that process and then as I said it took about six months all in all for her to complete the process and yeah. for us to um, finalize everything so she was quick and, and we thank the Lord for that because um, we hear of um, others taking much longer you know so she was really really gracious really really on the ball and she helped us quite a lot in terms of getting the paperwork process done oh. and then the day came when we got the phone call yeah sure i i, I what was i mean getting the fo- the phone call just describe those kind of emotions because <laughs> i mean that's it's such a it's such a big moment isn't it yeah yeah the phone call it was so interesting because we were, we were traveling to another province and when it came um uh, uh, it was a picture actually it was an SMS picture and I was like oh my god so anyway it was a picture of him and our lives were turned upside down because now finally there's a there's a there's a specific baby it's not mm. a theory that we're talking about out there somewhere there is a human being who is um alive and beautiful and waiting to be loved mm-hmm. so we then told her we want to come as soon as we back in Joburg we will definitely um, come see the little one and it, I think it was a Monday um, set up and uh, we went to go see him and we just fell in love it was like a small little ward there were like six maybe seven little babies um, <laughs> they had all been born in that hospital and they were all up for adoption mm. and the nurse kept saying you know pick that one pick that one and we were like no 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 no, no. this is not a picking game you know this is not what we do this is a specific baby that we have come Mm. and special housing for the first time. I took the pictures. I think I was too nervous. Um, and then he, he um, had some milk on your lap. <laughs> and um, um, there was a short, short session and that was it. And then in two weeks' time, we could come back and officially pick him up. And when we picked him up, it was the longest day. It really felt like we were going through labor because it was like six, seven hours of us waiting mm. at the hospital. To yep. actually pick him up, and eventually I could dress him. And when we came out, there was another couple also um, coming to um, pick up the little one. And when we came out, it was so jubilant. People were just like um, uh, um, around us, and it was just such a beautiful experience. And mm. Mrs. Mom was there with us, and then um, she helped us sort of go through all the emotions on that day. And we had another friend of ours, Mas from mm. Zambia. Mm. He was also there. <laughs> and um, yeah, when we got home, it was surreal because it's like, here's this person, you know, we have to <laughs> him. <laughs> yeah. You know, and after him. And and yeah, 90 days later, we had the court order and we could actually go change his surname. Mm. Um, his name was at home then. And then he was officially ours. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, as I'm as I'm listening to you guys, I got a 
big lump in my throat and and literally a tear in my eye mm-hmm. um and just you know thinking back to Liesl on my own story you know get it we we also uh, i was driving on the r21 and the uh, and whatsapp went and or, or the phone went and the social worker said you know are you still interested in adoption and the answer was yes and they said well uh, we we have a child um it might be that your that your son is ready for you and just the 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 overwhelming emotional moment um it was actually really difficult to talk even on the phone i phoned my wife and we quickly organized um uh, care for our children who are in school uh, friends of ours uh, martha and, Lin- and lynette went and picked them up and took care of them and liesel and i raced across the city we were you know in benoni on the east Rand. we raced across the city to Prin- princess alice adoption home uh on on the west side of joburg or center of joburg and uh and and met our son for the first time and and just yeah i i, I remember i remember liesel taking him and um you know just the 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 beauty of that moment seeing her holding thomas and he has this cute little gurgling child <laughs> he was huge <laughs> thomas was such a big baby <laughs> he was this giant of a child um but 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 liesel coddling him and loving him and uh, you know the social worker coming over and saying you know is this a match or are you guys do you feel as if this might be com- compatible and just again not even being able to speak i was so emotionally overcome uh, just at the at the joy and the beauty of the moment and and then also that jubilation uh, we experienced uh, as we as we left the adoption home and you know the the, the staff um uh, that that was also about two weeks or three weeks later and the and just the joy of the staff and and then the complexity of trying to figure out how to <laughs> how to care for another child um you know um nappies and formula and and life uh, began uh, again that process uh, you mentioned your mom was there um Sufiso, um uh, uh, miriam uh, was was at the uh, at kind of like there on the on the first day or, or when uh, Fide came home um, wh- what was the general response and reaction uh, to the family as you guys uh, went through both this process and and then um, yeah just because I, I mean I, I do get the sense that uh, adoption is, is sometimes a, a, a taboo aspect um, uh, amongst African culture in South Africa uh, maybe just you know talk around those kinds of topics yeah um, we were you know very we, we still are very much blessed that uh, you know we have a very close-knit family um, in that uh, when we were going through the emotions of trying to naturally conceive and the struggles that we had and you know the, the doctor's reports that we received at that time um, you know we shared that with the family. We're very open about it that uh, natural conception is not an option for us. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, you know, we believe that the Lord uh, still very much wants us to be parents. And so adoption is something that we want to pursue. And um, we invited them along the journey and being open about that process too. And so, um, you know, a, a family was very supportive. A media family is pretty supportive. 
And um, to touch on the fact that, you know, how, why that is such an amazing thing um, is that generally, you know, adoption in uh, black culture in, in particular is something that is um, taboo because it ties back to infertility, uh, which is a stain on marriages, is viewed as a stain on the marriage. Um, and then secondly, you know, the reason why maybe it is not so overtly practiced is because, you know, in certain cultures, you know, it's tied to ancestry, you know, it's tied to heritage um, mm. and, and those cultural practices of we don't know where this child is coming from, we don't know the family of this child, mm. um, what kind of um, rituals would we need to do in order to, the, to have this child accepted mm. by uh, not only our family but also the family, the, the, the ancestors uh, of the family. Um, and so it becomes a very, um, uh, uh, you know, cultural barrier. You know, uh, to actually overtly practice that, and also, you know, the 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 the, the taboo of lack of concept, you know, infertility, inability to conceive, um, is something that is still treated as a, as a shame, and it's most something that is viewed as a, a problem with uh, the women in the marriage alone. But um, it isn't only. I mean, uh, I could tell you that for certain in our case, that it is it is not something that is only on Kafelo. It's not. It's something that also affects the males, um, and uh, so. Um, parenthood is still very much something that uh, um, can be uh, realized through adoption. And so, um, yeah, so we, we were very encouraged by our family. And I think um, just in terms of the, the, the cultural pers perspective, um, there was a young lady who had called us and who had heard about our story, and she was like, I really want to adopt, but my in-laws uh, are uh. not... You know, they're not going to accept this. And mm. so, what do you do? And I said, well, um, this is something that you have to take um, uh, to God in prayer. You know, because it's not an easy thing. Because at the end of the day, they are your family. You know, but the 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 going through it with your family, and and even if it takes five years, or just talking through the concept, um, is a very critical thing. Mm. Um, it helps when your family is saved. Um, but if your family is not, it mm. is your Christian witness because at the end mm. of the day, this is how as Christians we witness to our families. Yeah. It is your Christian witness that will win them over. And, and just trusting the Lord that um, He will give you the right baby and the baby will grow up in the ways of the Lord. And so in that, that becomes the gospel opportunity for your family if you're not saved. So I just, I just said to this lady, you know, pray about it, talk with your husband about it. But at the end of the day, it's between you and your husband. Yes, your family does have a critical role to play. But if you and your husband decide this is what we want to do, you know, um, make that decision and go ahead. You know, this is a mandate. This is something you're called to. And if the Lord lays it heavy on your heart, why not? Yeah, I really love the, I really love the answer that you've given to the topic of of kind of the cultural taboo huh. and, and maybe just to to also say because 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 uh, i'm not african i'm <laughs> i'm european if you're watching on <laughs> facebook you knew that um but but they are um uh, kind of like peer pressures um cultural expectations um certain concerns uh, around adoption even in even in my culture it's not like one culture is like for adoption and another culture is like 
mm. a- against adoption. Um, you know, the kinds of pushback which we received as we went through the process of adoption um, was, you, you know, you don't know the, the, the child's background, the child's family background, um, concerns about how's the child going to, you know, fit into your home. We had a transracial a trans, uh, adoption. So uh, Thomas, uh, he would point out, you know, we kind of, being being a product of the 70s we talk mm. in terms of black and white but uh, Thomas is now 7 years old uh, he points out that my skin colour is not white <laughs> it is peach daddy <laughs> and his skin colour is not black it is brown daddy so in terms of you know uh, the differences the very apparent um, physical differences physiological differences that we have uh, those were like genuine concerns that were expressed to us by friends and mm. by family and uh, and kind of like there the, the is a sense of of pressure that that adoption uh, you know is maybe for other people but but why for why for our family or, or why for you why is it right for you and, and I loved listening to what you guys were saying in terms of hang on but but God puts these things in our hearts. And if God has put this in our heart, um, then if a thousand people are against it and yet God is for it, you know, which which way do we take? Who do we honor? <laughs> Who gets glorified uh, in the midst of these kinds of massive decisions uh, that we that we make? Um, uh, but it, uh, Sorry, uh, Safisa, did I cut you off there, brother? No, no, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, when, when we talk about these kinds of of barriers in South Africa, um, we've we've raised we've raised some of the um, the fears that people might have. Uh, you know, let, let's just maybe talk about some of the others because I'm sure that these would resonate with people that are thinking through thinking through adoption and thinking through the adoption process and are possibly fearing going and speaking to family or friends about this heart that they have uh, mm-hmm. to go through the process of adoption. What, what are some of the, the barriers in South Africa, some of the fears that people have that maybe we haven't touched on or, or that we just want to highlight and underline a little bit in terms of when these conversations start? Yeah. Okay, so I would definitely say one of the fears is you know how will the family take it you know the in-laws play a huge part in receiving this that's the one fear the second fear it would be the issue of you know would i be able to love this child like my own you know is it it my blood you know and 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 i find that you know a child is a child is a child you are going to love this child Mm -hmm. even if in love with them and you're going you're going to extend yourself and go beyond yourself like any mother would for any child so i don't think you should should have this you know but it's not my blood um the christian family there's no blood but we're family you know we're (laughs) brothers and sisters in the lord um yes through the blood of jesus but it's not that you know it's linked to Really, it's not by flesh. It's mm. really not by flesh. Um, yeah, so I think those are the, the, the two main ones. Yeah. Mm. Um, the other the other one is um, that, uh, like circumstantial ones, uh, such as, um, you know, firstly, uh, um, um, are we parents? Um, should, like, you know, we, we, we are a couple, should we, um, because we can't have our children, or, or, or like, we, we just married, Christian couple. We married. Um, should we um, have, have have children? Should we adopt? It is. Sh- it shouldn't be something that is done for compulsion reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's something that, as we said earlier, if the Lord has placed in your heart, by all means, embrace it and pursue it in faith. And one of the ways that um, you know, uh, certainly, 
um, you know, uh, you can start to overcome those barriers is actually being a part of a community um, where adoption is practiced. And that's first and foremost in church because a lot of the body would identify as having been adopted first and foremost. Mm. Um, and secondly, um, you know, you have a higher propensity of having um, families who've also adopted. Mm. And um, that is something that they would be able to model for you and actually take you through uh, a journey of, you know, um, how the Lord has indeed seen them through uh, their needs um, in making uh, provision for the family's needs and the child's needs. Mm. Um, and it's all of grace, um, truly. Yeah. And I think also for singles, it's, it's very easy to highlight couples. Mm. But for singles, it's also a very critical point that, you know, if they're plugged into a community um, that can come alongside of them, um, they could also um, adopt um, a, a, a baby. If the Lord has given them the means, they have a home that um, can accommodate um, children. Um, we are more than willing and, 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 and we encourage it, in fact, to say, why, you know, let's have more single um, people adopting um, because at the end of the day, this is missional. Um, for, for us, this is not just a tick in the box and it's a trend or Christians are doing it and maybe you get a, a, a star in your forehead when you get to heaven or whatever. No, not that you know it is it is a very missional um, journey that we are on and so uh, you're going to be discipling you're going to be discipling another soul mm. and why not the Lord has given you mm. if, 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 I, if I may add on that uh, Mark um, it is you know to, to add to the point uh, how this is a missional uh, exercise it's, it's a gospel practice is that when you consider that you know we as a, as, as a church we are pro-life, you know. Yeah. Um, the world would, would, would say that, um, you know, a statement of saying pro-life, we are anti the mother, we are anti, you know, um, human, uh, you know, human rights and women's rights. And we don't need to get into those type of debates, but really just practice what uh, the gospel calls us to, is to love uh, and, 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 and care for the widows and care for the, for, the, for the orphans. And the most practical way for that is to give them the primary needs. Um, that is love, and that is a loving home, um, and uh, that is through adoption, that is through foster care, that is through coming alongside the community who are fostering, coming alongside the, the, the families that are adopting. Um, you know, we, we are a community and, uh, you know, uh, hands and feet, the means of benevolence um, to a dying world. And so I think, um, you know, it is the most pro-life statement we can make. Mm. Well, guys, we have come up to the hour, um, 10 o'clock, and we're going to continue to engage um, over the next course of the hour. We've had a number of people that have made comments. We'll go through those um, after a, a brief break um, and continue this conversation around adoption, a practical love in a hurting world. What we're going to do now is we are going to hear Johnny David's uh, Sing Cornerstone. Well, Radio Pulpit, we are listening this morning to Chachelo and Sefiso. We're joined by them. They represent an organization called Open Home Africa. Um, today, we're really talking about adoption. Uh, we're talking how we as believers and how the church can reach out in love to a world which is hurting. Uh, we're going to talk possibly about just some of the stats and some of the need coming up. Uh, I've been... I've been really encouraged 
by the amount of uh, of listener engagement yeah. uh, on the topic. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of interaction coming through. Uh, Tepo, you want to maybe just take us through some of the some of the questions that have come through for Safiso uh, and Khahelo. Yeah, so we've got a question um, by some from somebody <laughs> that we well know. Uh, he says this: Greetings, trust that you are all great. And then he says, How long does the adoption process generally take? So, so there's a number of questions. That's the first one, right? How long does the adoption process generally take? And then is open home limited to Christians only? And then the last one in this uh, text says this. Do people who adopt ever have to worry about the biological parents ever wanting to come back in the child's life? And so that's for Khalkhelo and Sfiso. So, and then I'm going to read um, other comments on WhatsApp. It says this, um, Hi, great topic. When do we tell the child that he or she is adopted? Question two. What do we do if the child wants to find their biological parents? And then the last comment or second last says this. My adoptive daughter turned 40 this year. I can clearly remember the day when my sister phoned us to give us the news because we were visiting my parents on the farm near Uppington. These happened before the days of cell phones. (laughs) The day she arrived will ever be imprinted in my heart. Oh, my something in heart. God is good. We chose a name for her before I even knew the meaning, which is gracious gift from God. That's a beautiful um, comment. And then there's two more. Um, greetings, Mark and our Radio Pulpit, Pulpit team. Uh, thank you for today's topic. Um, it's very informative. Our church, FBC, Whitbank, is supportive of Tabisa House in Josie, run by Cindy Nielsen. Um yeah, and we've just clarified what my name is there. <laughs> Turns out I, I didn't uh, I didn't pronounce Seppel's name with enough enunciation that it could be heard over radio. It is Seppel Pitzel, yeah. uh, my partner in crime, uh, this morning. Hachelo yeah. Sefiso, actually quite a lot coming through. Lots of questions, lots to engage on. Uh, I don't know if uh, you can you can answer all of them or some of them. Uh, maybe we can just talk around them um, as best we can. Yeah, I was jotting down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just um, picked up on the, the first two. Please remind me as we yeah. continue the discussion. Sure. So there are two forms of uh, process, processes that you can actually go through. Um, the adoption route or the fostering route. Now, the adoption route um, could take you six months, sometimes 12 months, to make sure that everything is done if you go the private route. If you go the public route, it could take anything from one year, maybe two to three years, depending on how fast um, the social workers could help you. So that's that's one route. The other route is fostering. Um, Fostering has got its tricky bits. Um, You can foster children in your home, but the parents still have um, the rights to contact you and to come get their child. So um, by law, you still have to involve, um, whereas with adoption, once the court and the judge has decided he's your child, then no other person can come and claim Mm -hmm. him, so to say. 
you know, um, once you've got the court order, it's done, it's a sealed process. Um, whereas with fostering, you have to navigate the relationship between the mother of the child or the family of mm. the child. So that, that response um, is, is sufficient for that question. The second question was, when do you tell them? Start as early as possible. Mm. Um, from a very small age, introduce the concept of adoption um, in your in your talks, you know, um, yeah. um, children are not, you know, dumb. They can see, <laughs> especially if it's a transsexual adoption, they can see, wait, <laughs> I'm a bit different here, you know. <laughs> so so <laughs> with your family, um, be as open as possible. Tell them their story so that later on in life it's not, you know, a shock to their system. Because I think a lot of kids who were adopted, um, then find out that it was some secrets and whatnot, and really just messes with their identity, you know. And they feel like, well, then I don't belong. I need to go find my family and all of that. But if you start very early, I mean, with Fide, we started with movies. You know, there's so many adoption movies, cartoons, uh, uh, books um, that just introduce the concept of adoption. When he's five, six, seven, he then grasps. And he can actually see when there's a family that's adopted another child, and he'll be like, "Oh, okay, I think he's like me. He's adopted." You mm-hmm. know. So um, this is just to help him formulate what the concept is, and that later on in life it's not so shocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think I think the most important thing in telling the the, 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 the child um, about the adoption um, uh, reality is to contextualize it correctly. Um, you know, in in a, not in a way that the world generally contextualizes it. Um, you will often hear in movies, um, and even in school, like, you know, children talk of adoption as if it's the second plan, you know, the plan mm-hmm. B, and, uh, you know, you were, de- you, you were rejected, and so, um, you know, so, 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 you know, family had to accept you. Mm-hmm. We, we, what we do, we contextualize it um, in the sense that we are, ourselves were very much adopted. Mm-hmm. That is the most important thing that could happen to you in life. Um, and um, one of the most practical uh, displays of that is, you know, being adopted um, uh, physically into a family um, mm. that gives you love, gives you home, mm. and uh, raises ideally in the knowledge. Yeah, so much is going on in my head as I'm listening to this. Uh, obviously, so much is going on in, in listeners' heads as well. Uh, got a comment from Joe who says that he was adopted and his parents or her parents never kept it from them uh, and told them at a age-appropriate um, age about adoption. Uh, when I was very young, I knew they chose me and I was not from my mom's tummy. And this helped me when bullies found out via their parents. So I was prepared for them. Mm. Uh, blessings, Joe. Uh, that's that's just that's just a lovely story, Joe. I I, I can tell you from Liesl and my perspective. I, I, our family was in a flood of tears uh, two nights ago, an absolute puddle of tears. Um, Thomas came home, and for about the millionth time, it had been noted at school that uh, that mommy was a different colour to him. You know, mommy's peach and his brown. Um, and he came home, and and clearly he has a growing sense of self-awareness. Mm. Now we've been talking about adoption. I mean, literally before he could even talk. You know, I, I put him to bed every evening. I, I 
I say prayers with him every evening and then every evening he gets to ask for a story and nine times out of ten he wants to hear a story of his life he wants to hear sure. a story of his beginnings and so Thomas knows all the stories that I could possibly tell him about about how he came to us uh, he knows these things in terms of information um, but it's interesting he, he clearly is going through this the self um, the self awareness phase yeah. and it's and he's starting to understand and the reason why we were in a puddle of tears is because we told him his story again we told him of his beginnings again and and the penny began to drop and then and then Thomas at the supper table just started to weep and uh, I mean obviously Liesl and I were terribly um, concerned with what this might mean and so uh, I mean Liesl already had tears in her eyes and said Thomas my boy um, what's the matter what, what, what's going on what are you thinking about and his response was I just love my family so much mm. I mean even as I relate it now <laughs> again frog in my throat and yeah. my heart is very full um, but you know the girls started to cry Thomas was picked up by mom and held for about 15 minutes just in in love but I say that because whilst we started telling Thomas very young um, his story um, the truth is that this is terribly complex and mm. we, we are complex beings and Thomas's story and Thomas's understandings will be different to Fides will be different to other folk who have been adopted uh, I mean it, it it really is there's so much complexity around this we, we, we aren't given everything that we we need in order to do this well uh, and and by, by that I mean we we come up so short in our finiteness in our humanity and um, praise the Lord that we have a God a father in heaven that we can uh, turn to and uh. um, even when we don't have the answers that our children are seeking for uh, that we can pray to him that we can ask for comfort and for relief and that we can entrust our children <laughs> to him knowing that he is good and knowing that he's working out all things together for the good and ultimately for his glory yeah Absolutely. I yeah. think what, what helps in, in, in this sort of situation I think um, for families who adopt and it's a transracial adoption they they have to make a deliberate effect and um, deliberate um, decision <laughs> that's mm. the word I'm looking for yeah. deliberate decision to surround themselves with other couples who when the child starts you know when the pin drops and they, they want to ask questions at least their family is, is, is there and if they've adopted even better because mm. then they feel like I'm, I'm not the only one you know I'm I, I've got somebody else that I can be so for feeding we deliberately uh, make sure that we keep in contact with other couples who've adopted mm. so that um, whenever play dates come up or birthdays come up and um, and they are around him, they are surrounding him. This could take another 15 years for him to, you know, you know, mouth through this and think about it. But at least he knows that there, there are other families who are like him. The worst is to be isolated and not know and just think, oh, maybe this is something that only happened to me. But there are many, many uh, children who are, um, adopted in this country, who are fostered in this country, and um, um, let them know that they're not the only ones going through this. And we love them, and we want to just hold them like they're ours because they are ours, mm. you know. And, and, and just take them through that because um, you don't want later on they have all sorts of issues, uh, 
depression, uh, trauma-related things because it was not handled right from the foundation. Mm-hmm. So deliberate the decision to surround yourself with those who have adopted you know, Gagelo, that is so, so excellent. I, I also just want to make the point that adoption is a very intentional act, but so yeah. is all of parenting. So if you're a parent that's sitting, listening to kind of the things that adoptive parents think through and need to need to go through, well, the reality is all of parents is an intentional act. Um, children are... Mm-hmm are given to us as a precious gift from God and we bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord and, and that does, it takes it takes intentionality whether our children are adopted or not and there's certain intentionality that adoptive parents do need to exercise. Uh, the other thing that uh, you know just struck me as, as you were talking, uh, Safiso, was you, you just mentioned the, 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 the idea of adoption being plan B. Uh, that, yeah. It's just absolutely impossible Adoption is a legal matter. It requires <laughs> so much work and effort and paperwork and court appointments and home affairs visits to get names changed. It, it is definitely not plan B. Yeah. <laughs> the process of adoption is a plan A for adoptive parents. So so just, just listening to that, um, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, the legal aspect of adoption. Mm and the planned aspect of adoption and both of those are biblical because god is just and when when you read scripture and how god will deal with us that's we we given a picture of the courtroom right and that's he's a just god and justly he's supposed to punish us but in that place christ comes and then he pays for that and if if you read um, Ephesians, uh, we were predestined for this adoption, mm. and that itself also is is a plan, right? So we yes. we we all of this is a plan, and all of it is legal aspects. So there's I, I don't see how you you would turn to this is plan B. This yeah. is actually biblical language that we see playing out even in the act of adoption before did you notice how we just went from adoption to soteriology we we, we write at salvation the gospel that jesus christ died for our sins and that he rose from the grave in victory over death and that all men everywhere called upon to repent for the forgiveness of sins and how that 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 process of salvation joins us to a family we never had but a family that was predestined even before the foundation of the world that we might belong to what a joy (laughs) what excitement Uh, i mean it really is an absolutely beautiful picture um safiso um you guys are are involved with an organization called Open Home Africa um, and and really I, I, I want to talk about that because it's dear to my heart as well um, how did it come into being um, yeah just begin to flesh out that story okay um, Open Home Africa it, it literally started during the first hard lockdown um, we got a phone call from a young lady who was in distress she was pregnant she didn't want to go ahead with um, aborting her child. So she then told a friend who then called me and said, hey, there's a girl, she is um, uh, in lots of distress. Can you come see her and speak mm. to her and counsel her? 
So I then thought, well, um, am I even qualified to counsel, you know? <laughs> so I called around different pastors trying to see who can, you know, walk alongside of her in her area. And then I realized, actually, look, it's lockdown. It's very hard um, for people to just like, jump up. Um, let, let me go see her. And, and, I, and I go, um, I went to go see her. And then um, took her to a crisis pregnancy center where she got counseled and uh, forms were given to her for if she wants to give baby up for adoption. And so we walked the journey with her until she actually gave birth um, last month and she decided to keep her baby. But uh. in that process, um, we then realized, wait a minute, um, in this time of crisis, you know, the pandemic has shown us that actually where do people run to? And we thought, wait. Um, the church is the one who's supposed to be standing up. You know, people in the in the local churches are the ones who are supposed to hear the clear and call even louder during those crisis times. And so we thought, actually, we have to do something. Um, we have to encourage our brothers and sisters to come on board because uh. it is not going to get any better. Um, it's actually going to get worse because you actually see every week the abandonment of children. And it's like, you can't just sit and watch and just wait, you know. And it was actually my husband who said, well, do something about it. Do something. I was like, what? And he's like, do something. And so, yeah. And and, and uh, another pastor said, well, do something about it. And he offered um, to have the first workshop. Uh, open home workshop happened at Florida Baptist Church. And um, it was nearly just two get people in the same room and say, okay, guys, here's the crisis. What do we do about this? You know, yes, it's, it's complex, it's hectic, but this is a, what do we do as Christians to a dying world? But this is one way that we can, we can avail ourselves. And so Open Home Africa was birthed from that. Mm. And um, we've had three workshops. We're going on to the fourth one um, um, next month in March. And it's not for Christians only. You know, it's for those who are literally interested in adopting and fostering, wanting to know what is the process, because it's so hard when you Google, there's so many other things that you're actually not sure of. But when you get into a room with a, with a person who actually knows what they're doing, um, we have one main speaker who actually talks about the process, um, what forms to fill, what are the steps, who to speak to, where to go to, and then uh, we then share stories of others who've adopted, um, just like us, who then, you know, just help people think through this matter. And so that's where Open Home started. So, I mean, in in terms of in terms of open homes, your your focus, your 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 key desire, the the people that you're wanting to move forward uh, in this process, uh, kind of who are they? Uh, you mentioned it's not just for Christians, but but who are they? Where are they? Um, and and you mentioned workshops. What would a workshop look like? What would it feel like? Um, who are the kinds of people that you are hoping would arrive there mm. on any given day? Uh, Mark, if I may answer that one, is um, you know the format of the seminars. Um, we set them up to be open to everyone uh, who desires to adopt, who desires to find out information about the fostering parent, and generally those people. Um, are not only the ones um, who just desire to adopt or foster, but are interested in how the whole process works. Because generally, um, 
what happens a lot of times is that people refer to each other, refer each other to information, refer to each other to sources of, you know, um, um, uh, where help can be found. Um, and um, we, in the previous um, uh, uh, seminar, had a, um, uh, a Muslim lady um, actually receive an ad, and um, because of what the ad encouraged and prompted and communicated, um, that lady went on and invited somebody who um, she knows is very keen uh, to adopt. Um, and that lady attended and therefore told us how she found out about the, 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 the workshop. Um, so uh. we see it as a means of actually furthering the gospel in a meaningful way, in a way that people can actually see practice. Um, and then at the same time, um, we, we, we do so in a way that, um, you know, there's no cover charge per se. It's open to everybody to come and find out what the extent of this crisis is. Because truly, if more people can step up to, to, to meet, you know, um, the women um, who are left on their own without, you know, much help in panic, they go ahead and, and abort because of the shame that is, uh, the, 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 the shame that is upon them that, you know, they fell pregnant out of wedlock and now they've got this child and now they, they're going to commit uh, an act of uh, murder, frankly, you know, um, um, in, in hopes to, to solve the problem. And then they live with that on their own. So we want to meet that crisis um, by saying, look, every child deserves a loving home. So if adults can open up their home, ideally uh, Christians uh, who uh, know that they themselves have been adopted, they've been given an eternal home, um, and um, they are feeling the, the, the call of God to say, do something. Um, there are practical ways uh, to do so, and so that's what we offer at the seminars. Sophie, so you, I mean, you you spoke about the need there, and and really that uh, that was a point that I I wanted us to address. There is a need for people to step forward as adoptive parents in our country. Do you have any sense of of what that need is? I, I mean, can it be quantified? Um, uh, yeah, it was very interesting too. Um, the other day. Um, bump into the local uh, um, there was an orphanage um, that had um, put up stats and the last time we had stats was probably in 2014 or 2015 where they told us there's 5.2 million orphans in the country um, that number has increased but what is happening is the, the number of uh, adoptions is decreasing in our country, and so uh. with 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 this crisis, we need we need to encourage one another and stir one another up to say, come on board. You know, if the Lord is giving you means, this is a this is this is a mandate as Christians, and that we should um, go forth and <laughs> multiply and also just like make disciples. Why not in this way? Because. Um, we are actually helping the, 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 the need that is currently um, being played out across our media. You know, you, you look at online, you see how many babies are abandoned, and you're like, but surely there were people who were saying, hey, we'll walk with you. Hey, we'll take your baby in. Hey, mm -hmm. we will help you until you are on your feet. That's, that's what the, the, the main thing is about open home and, and opening up your home. It's, it's hospitality at its best, you know. Mm. It's really just discipling people and sharing with them your food, your home, your um, everything so that we live out this, this, this life in the way that the Lord has called us um, um, as, as Christians, you know. But um, 
our motto is a loving home for every child, a loving home for every child. And that is our prayer, that we could do this particularly for the orphans who are um, um, sitting in, in orphanages, you know, uh, babies get adopted, but when they reach five, six, seven, teens, no one looks after them. And they, and then when these children grow up in, in um, unguided ways, so to say, you know, the streets will raise them, so to say. As if we say we're Christian, we believe what the Bible says. Why not um, go ahead and open up your home and if you cannot lend a hand to someone who's broken and who's looking for love. You know, uh, when you when you talk about the need, I, I remember um, visiting uh, an, an orphanage and, uh, and and taking my daughters with me, um, and and we were there. Uh, we were going through the process of adoption. Uh, one child out of the twenty-two would be coming home with us, yeah. but I I remember very vividly the other twenty-one kids. There were times where we interacted with all the children in a common space. And you had these kids all under the age of two, and you'd walk into the into the room. You'd sit on a uh, you know one of those those very cushiony chairs, um, and maybe pick up a book or pick up a toy. And twenty two little heads would swivel toward you, and all the kids that were capable of moving in any way whatsoever would start to edge towards you because all those twenty two kids wanted was to be picked up. They just wanted to be held. They just wanted to sit on your lap. They just wanted to have some sense of tactile engagement with you. And, and the the thing that really struck my wife and I while we were there um, was the kids had everything. I mean, they had TVs bigger than our home had. They had more toys than our kids would ever have. Um, they were they were drinking better formula than what we could afford to to buy for our children. Um, and yet what they didn't have um, was that, that right. love that right. comes from a mother and a father. The need is very great because there's not just 22 kids in our country that need to be adopted. The, did you say five, over 5 million children uh, that are uh, adoptive in our land? I mean, that's just, that's just a massive need. And to think that the number is going up while the people that are stepping forward is going down uh, absolutely breaks my heart. Sofiso, how can churches, how can the church, how can we as individuals come alongside those who are adopting and fostering um, uh, in our community? How can we encourage them? How would it have been helpful for for us to come alongside you as a couple as you went through this process and as you are in this process? I think what is what is very critical is to, number one, um, find others who are either adopting or have adopted because already that that's your you know your 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 sort of saving grace because you have someone to bounce off your ideas. You have someone if something happens and you, you've got a question, they they've gone through that. They they it resonates in their heart so they can really um, help you. But as churches I think we need to um, be more deliberate as to how we set up structures in our churches to help um, communities that that um, have 
abandoned babies. So I know of a few churches who either start a home um, or they support a home, um, which is one critical part. And it's a missional uh, objective for the church where people can volunteer, people can um, come alongside um, those who are uh, helping at the home themselves. Uh, they can buy, you know, milk, nappies, you name it. But the most important thing, which I think you touched on, Mark, is actually being there. Um, when I volunteered at Dr. Dope Hope, you're right, you know, uh, kids have everything, but that tactile love and just touching their faces, their hands, mm. they love that, you know, um, because no one else um, can do that. Yes, the homes have got the mummies who, who help and the aunties who come through um, and, and help, but they literally there just to make sure that eating time is, and food is done and, and the nappies are changed because as the kids grow, they have more needs. So, of course, when people volunteer and they come alongside that home or that orphanage, um, you know, kids can actually um, uh, uh, see that hey, there's, there's, there's other people who actually like me and they, they like my company and I can talk to them, you mm. know, um, unlike um, the people in the home. So, I think churches can do that. Churches can form community um, networks, rather. Um, one lady I spoke to, she was a social worker, she was. Uh, she used to work in PE, and she said when she came to no, 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 hang on. It's not PE. You can't say PE. It's not PE. It's not PE any longer. So give it your best. Uh, <laughs> give it your best stab. The new name. Oh <laughs> I have got great expectations about what you're about to do, Carlo. <laughs> Please forgive me. I'll have to skip this one. Bebeha. Did I get it okay? No, the tried. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> Carry on, sister, as you were. Yes, so anyway, she then told us that in Joburg, she noticed that there's no network. Um, by that, she meant if a baby is a neglected children or there's a home in Linden somewhere um, where there's a, there's a distress call, she, she she wouldn't necessarily know who to call besides the cops, you know. Um, mm. She'd have to call this, the protection services um, unit. But she said what is lacking in Joburg, and which is something we'd love to do as Open Home, is create a network of families who are ready to receive um, uh, children. Of course, they'd have to work hand in hand with a social worker in the area, but that is one way where we create a network and if anything happens, we are ready. You know, we are ready to help meet the need right there. So the idea with Open Home is to get as many people, singles, married couples, name it, in one area, set up a network, and um, with, the, with the help of the church, of course, to say, okay, this is, in five years' time, this is the network that we're going to set up. And if anything happens in our area, we know that that community or that group of people from that area um, is willing to take the baby on, um, is willing to take on. And sometimes it's not just one child, it's, it's a whole household. Mm. You know, so how do we support that household and how do we come up with structures that help um, child-headed homes, you know, with people passing away because of corona and all of that. We're going to have mm. more of that. So mm. how do we position ourselves sure. to be in a place where we can give and, and, and be there for those who are in need? 
You know, you you might be listening in to this conversation uh, on radio and and just and just hearing this and and thinking that it might be a unique problem to South Africa or a unique problem in our time in human history. It really isn't, and and that Christians are involved in this um, is also not not unique to us as a church or in our church age like right from the beginning um and i'm talking like the year dot um when the church was established on the day of pentecost very soon after that christians were known as those who were rescuing the most vulnerable Mm. in society taking care of the needs of those who literally couldn't take care of the needs themselves Mm. when james writes and that's what we started the conversation off with in uh, in the beginning of the hour at nine o'clock when james writes that pure and undefiled religion before god the father is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress he writes it because that is the common practice and ethos of the christians throughout all the ages and that's the expectation of what we would look like today i really like what you how you answered that because you you do you point out that that being that being the church that being a christian and that responding to this massive need that we see before us isn't just the task of parents who adopt children but it actually takes an army of us it takes the church mobilized in order to respond to this massive issue and so they need to be those who are willing to give love to children who will never become their children and by going into orphanages and just and just showering love on children and 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 uplifting care workers that are in those organizations uh, it's going to take the the um the knowledge of the church of how adoption works and creating safe spaces for adoptive children and for adoptive parents um it's going to take the whole church in order to get this right that god might be glorified and god is massively glorified as we do that which nobody else around us will do um as the world takes care of their bottom line as the world takes care of their bank account as the world takes care of their second home or you know their mortgage or their third car whatever it might be as christians sacrifice for the needs of others as we take care of the needs of others as we are self-sacrificial in our love displaying Mm. an agape love to the people around us god is glorified christ in us is magnified um and and the church itself becomes beautiful uh, as we go about that process so so if someone's been listening to kind of everything that we've been saying over the last two years uh, two years two hours or if they they tuned in recently and have begun to listen in and they are they, their interests are peaked they they want to know more um uh, how can they um uh, engage in the next workshop where is the next workshop um how, how will it work and what kind of information can can they look forward to hearing at it Awesome. I think the next workshop um, we're going to have is, is pretty exciting for us because um, the reason why I say it's exciting is because, you know, you always hear about adoption in sort of suburbia, leafy places, you know, <laughs> the rich, so to say, who can adopt. But um, we, we want to start a mobilization where we can actually say in the townships, this is possible, you know. In fact, growing up, um, my grandfather, there'd always been that one uncle that we don't know how he got to the house, but my grandfather <laughs> always bring people in. So it was done. 
<laughs> it was done. This was, open home was done back then, but I think with people being uh, sort of modernized and moving away from home and all of that, you 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 hide in your gated, you know, suburbia. But this is happening um, uh, even so in the township, and so one of yeah. um, the places we're going to is Soweto. Mulatane Baptist Church is going to host the first uh, workshop for 2021. Hey, Mulatane Baptist uh, Church, that's where uh, that's where Sammy Labalo is, and where Menzi yes. where Menzi is. Yes. Hey, correct. shout out to our friends on that side of the world. Yes, correct. So we we having it there, and we're hoping that um, we could have uh, Joel Kirby, who is um, director at Untertele uh, Children's Home, to be there to just take us through the process once again. What does it mean to adopt? What forms to fill in? And also, if you want to foster, you know, there's lots of ways that you can actually. Also, um, it's quicker than adoption, so the fostering route um, is is a possibility. So he's going to just share the the, the, the nitty gritty details of that. And then the second speaker we're hoping to have is um, uh, a lady called Lumile, and uh, she's a single mom, uh, an African single mom, um, who has also adopted. Her child is like six, and we actually want to bring faces um, to people to see that actually, yeah, if she can do it, I can do it, you mm, know. Mm. And then we have. Um, the mayor, Sonia and Paul Mayor, uh, will be um, uh, other speakers, and they've adopted four children, and they will talk through you know the journey that they've been with each of their um, children. They're now uh, in their teens, you know, and so it's nice to have a blend of people who talk about the different journeys that they had, um, from a single woman to a whole family. You know, and, and, and what are the intricacies and the complexities uh, there? And basically, it's an hour and a half. It's going to be on the 20th of March from 10:13 to 12. We'll have um, 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 eats afterwards. But the main thing is for us to connect um, mm. with those who want to do this, who want to open up their home. And so you're you're welcome. And you can go to Open Home Africa, register there. And um, um, tell us how many people you'd like to bring through um, the Morgan area. And and just to be clear, because we've hosted a, a, a workshop at Crystal Park Baptist Church in the past, but you don't have to be either in that church or in that suburb or even in that city in order to mm-hmm. attend. You, you don't have to live in Soweto to go to the workshop in Soweto. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are, if you are, if the Lord is moving in your heart and you're moving toward adoption and you've got questions and you need them answered and, and you would like to do that in a workshop format this workshop is open to to folk who can get to the venue uh, on that day yeah we had someone from drive all the way from Vidback to come to um, uh, one of the open homes that we had in north of Johannesburg and so he had taken in um, a young lady who um, I think the mom just fell on half times uh, I and mean, tough times and um, he just wanted to know okay so you know the, the little girl is in my house my wife is taking care of her how do I now do the legal thing mm-hmm. and make sure that the paperwork is processed and he, he drove all the way and it was just so exciting to, 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 to see that so mm-hmm. definitely not just people in Joburg we love to have people from all over the place and if you have a particular venue or your church wants to um, host this workshop please um, feel free to um, DM us 
send us a message um, via um, this very platform um, on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us, and we're willing to come through. Um, we we even considering having one also in um, Free State. So God willing, if um, um, we have um, level one and two, <laughs> we can then go all the way and host bigger workshops for more people to come forward. But that is our prayer, to reach as many people as possible and to say, you know what, it's possible and you can do this because others are doing this. And it's an army, it's an army of people who are doing this for the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I just want to underline the handle on those various different social media platforms that you spoke about, whether it be Facebook or Instagram. Um, the handle is Open Home Africa. Open Home Africa, and you would be able to connect with Safiso and Chachelo and begin that conversation. And the workshop that we've been talking about will be happening in Soweto, and it will be on the 20th of March, 2021, at Molitsane Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, as we've as we've been going through this, I have a growing sense of excitement, a growing sense of joy, and um, because adoption is obviously close to my heart and mm. close to my family, um, but because I'm also a pastor of uh, of a church, and, and I really I want to see the church winning. I want to see the church breaking out. I, I want to see the church exploding uh, in growth, and, and by growth, I don't just mean numbers. I, I, I'm, I'm talking about uh, spiritual growth and spiritual vitality, and I know that one of the ways that, that that God has blessed the church over the years um, through history um, has been as we have um, not just believed the gospel but as we have started to work the gospel out in all ways in our lives and and this is certainly one of the ways that the church gets to demonstrate victory to a watching world uh, as we take care of the most vulnerable. I, any closing thoughts, uh, Safiso, as we as we start to draw to the uh, to the end of the hour? Any any closing closing thoughts as as we as we come to the end of this topic? She's ahead to run out. Well, oh, no problem. Down. Well, then we get we get to double down on Chachelo. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, the clarion call is out there. You know, um, how do how will they know? if we do not love one another. And so this is a a means of um, living like the Macedonians, you know, where we share everything. We share our homes, Mm. we share whatever the Lord has given us. And so, um, yeah, we'd love to encourage people to um, come on board, sign up for workshops, but most importantly, sign up to their communities to say, this is one thing that we could do in our community. We could stand up and be the Lord's, um, hands and feet, you know, to a dying world, to a broken world, because you know, how else will they know that they are Christians? How else will they know um, unless we actually go out there? Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a heavy, heavy one that's laid on our hearts that is very, you know, dear to us also. That you know, if, we, if we do not step out in faith and do this, um, we're going to have to account what we did with the little that the Lord has given us. You know, mm. it's like that parable of the talents. We're going to we're going to have to account that you know what did we do all on earth? So that's that, that's the mission, and um, we can only do it when we're doing it together. Mm. Tipo, anything to add from your side, brother? As we as we contemplate this uh, this topic. 
well <laughs> so i often i often talk to my wife about adoption right because <laughs> i want a big family <laughs> uh, so how big a family do you want no 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 we're not gonna we're not talking numbers she's now listening. oh okay <laughs> okay we're gonna be careful <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so honestly like i think i think one of the things that comes to mind when i think of adoption is that it's at its core it's sacrificial mm. right um and we we see that it cost well cost costed it cost jesus his life right um and that's that's like the well the most expensive thing that i can think of and so obviously for us um for me obviously to think of adoption that means back in the bank and i'm not asking for donations um so yeah we 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 definitely thinking about it and um this is this is beautiful so obviously it's gonna come with its challenges and it's gonna come with its joys as well it's gonna come with a whole lot um so but but it's 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 a beautiful picture and just maybe just 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 in closing um to think of when we christians were adopted Listen to what Ephesians 2, 3 says. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's wicked, wicked, wicked. We were wicked, right? And so, yes, with adoption, I'm thinking some adoptions may be easy. Some may be difficult in terms of who do we get into our homes but with the help of God and with his example that we were undeserving and so so are many other children who 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 are there and so we we want to share God's love and this is one way to show the world how God truly loves people just by taking in one child um who 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 was abandoned i mean we we too were abandoned we we were wicked so so for me that's an encouragement that if god could take me in 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 like i'm just thinking about pre-christ days was filthy filthy right um just thinking about that and just going back to the story of my conversion i didn't see how if given the means and the opportunity adoption would not be something that would be highly considered mm. look uh you know as we speak on these heavy topics just this realization of the beauty of being a parent just the mm-hmm. gift that god gives us uh, as we parent I, i'm sure you can't <laughs> i mean a month ago i'm sure lorata can't wait <laughs> but but just the joy of parenting the joy of having a child uh, of growing them up um, mm. uh, the love of a family i mean there is there's just a richness that happens as part of that process um, and and really when i think of my own family and i just think of the way that the lord has constituted it uh, caitlin and catherine and and thomas and liesl and myself and the the mutual bonds of love that we have between one another i'm very grateful for to god i'm grateful that i get to be a husband uh, mm. to my wife who mm. is amazing and listening in as well so i've got to be careful what i say um, <laughs> but i'm grateful that i get to be a husband to my wife i'm grateful that i get to be a father to my three children and i'm grateful for my son thomas because he is the apple of my eye and uh, he does make my heart incredibly incredibly full 
Um, as you've been listening in, I do trust that you've been blessed, uh, that you have heard God's word mm. um, read as we've taken it from James a number of times from Ephesians, mm. um, as we have considered um, from a biblical perspective this topic of adoption and then spoken very practically on, on the means of adoption and mm. on the processes of adoption, on the stories of adoption. Uh, I do want to extend a, a thanks to Chachelo as well as to Sefiso uh, for their time guys thank you so much uh, for engaging with us on this topic uh, on radio today uh, we really appreciate you guys and we honor the work that you're doing in this space and yeah. do trust that the Lord God um, blesses your family and blesses yeah. the work that you're doing um, at the same time just thinking of the great need in our country um, I think it should cause us as Christians to pray and pray that God's people would rise up and that uh, ultimately they would glorify God in their actions. Yeah. Pray that churches would uh, would uh, really celebrate God and celebrate the, these rich aspects of theology. Yeah. Uh, our prayers go out today to adoptive parents. Our prayers go out to elders and deacons who are holding the line in local churches as well as to missionaries who are serving in foreign fields and we want to remember and and pray and give much respect to to those who are first responders mm. uh, policemen firefighters paramedics our correctional service officers serving in our nation you've been listening to table talk with me your host mark uh, we're going to be going to news shortly but first we will be hearing from verona Pillay and brendan singing the song unconditional. Go with God and get after it. <laughs> 